There's a um, something we've been doing here is going through the uh, God's love story. So there's a reading plan on the foyer in the back if you want to grab one. But we started in, in Genesis in September, and we'll finish up in Revelation at the end of this next or the end of this month actually, and we'll go into a, a different sermon series. But our Bible classes and and what I teach here have been uh, all uh, talking about the same material. And so today there's a huge section of Romans and part of of First Corinthians and and uh, the last part of the Book of Acts that we're we've been uh, was part of the reading plan for this week, and it just got me thinking about. Sometimes in my life when I realized, uh-oh, everything has changed. I remember when I uh, was a young guy and I had gone to Italy as, with a mission program and there was a church rally that happened. And I remember uh, going to this church rally and there was a lot of other young people that were my age that were there. Uh, Italian Christians and some Americans, people from all over the place. And I remember uh, meeting this young girl there. And uh, we didn't, we talked a little bit, but uh, it wasn't until months later that we talked some more. But at some point in time, I realized, boy, my world has changed a lot. And Sylvia became my wife years later. But I remember that time thinking back there by the beach in the evening with all these young people around where I first met Sylvia and I had no idea how things would have changed. In fact, I haven't told her, she was talking with her cousin at the time and her cousin I knew, he was a friend of mine, his name's Marco. And the joke I make was that I said, Marco, who's that, you know, the beautiful girl that you're talking with? Are you, are you, um, are you uh, hitting on her? And he said, no, that's my cousin. Well, then I'll take care of it. It doesn't translate very well, but it translates really smoothly in English. Uh, but anyway, that, that didn't really happen. But I just remember, I can look back on that history now and think, wow, my life changed. Or when our first child was born, I remember as Sarah, that was, um, Sylvia was in the delivery room, and here comes Sarah. And boy, did I know that my life had changed a lot right then. As I've shared, and Sarah said I can share this, Sarah was a screamy baby. Hey, if your kids scream, it's nothing compared to what I've experienced. It's all right, okay? It's all good. You know, it's fine. And so we just, we love kids being here in the auditorium. It's all good. Um, just just love this and, and um, just excited that you're here. We're going to look at something that happened that really absolutely changed everything. Uh, because Paul, when he goes through the book of Acts, whenever he is, is speaking, it seems like, he talks about, and he comes back to this discussion, is the resurrection, because it changed his life, and it changed his decisions, it changed his priorities, it changed his purpose, it changed everything, and it should do the same for us. In fact, let's look at, give a little background for Paul's story here. How many of you have seen a map like this before? Okay, this is a map that, maybe in the back of your Bible, this map is there, but it's a map of the missionary journeys of Paul. And they go all over the place. And that's a huge area. Uh, if you, by miles or kilometers or area or however you want to judge it, that is a huge portion that uh, includes many, many different countries today, including Italy, Greece, uh, Turkey, uh, Jordan, Syria, Israel, all of those areas. Those are places that Paul spent time going around and sharing this message that had absolutely, totally changed his life. Now, 
I'm going to read something here in just a minute, but whenever Paul gets to places, and, and we talked about this in, in Bible class this morning, is Paul ends up somehow coming back around to talking about this resurrection of Jesus that happened. So, for example, I, I preached a few weeks ago on Acts chapter 17 when Paul goes to the Areopagus, the place in Athens where people are trying to figure out, wait a minute, who's this God you're talking about? Who, what, what's this all about? What happens is Paul ends up sharing that... Jesus was raised from the dead, and people the response of people is, oh yeah, whatever, that can't happen, nobody can be raised from the dead. You know, just think about how many things that we think might be impossible or should be impossible, and they would be if you take the God of all creation out of the picture. But when you remember that there's this God out there that created us, that made this amazing, wonderful world around us, that can, with a snap of his fingers, do things that is unimaginable for us, then we have to change our perspective and say, well, maybe God can raise people from the dead. Maybe God can open up tombs, open up that realm of the dead, and that people can come out. And it changes everything if that really happens. Now, Paul shares something, and I'm going to read a little bit. Let's go to Acts 26, and I'll, I'll read a few passages here, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time in 1 Corinthians 15. But Acts chapter 26, what happens here is Paul finds himself face to face with a couple of Roman governors, and he is defending himself in what he has been sharing. Now, the Jews have, have accused him of all sorts of terrible things, that you are, you're terrible, you're awful, you need the death penalty, you're an enemy of the state, all that. Paul is saying, all I'm doing is sharing the message of God that any one of us, if you would have had the same experience as me, you would be sharing as well. So he talks with, uh, I'll start reading in verse 14, he says, and you have these two Roman governors there, and you have all these other people there in that court. It says, we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, goad is a sharp stick that was used by shepherds to push sheep in a direction or cattle. And so just imagine if there's, you're getting poked to go a direction if you're a sheep. It's hard to turn around because you just get poked. It gets harder and it gets uh, uh, more painful. So it's all, you're making things tough on yourself. This is not working here. And then I said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you and appoint, to appoint to you as servant and as witness of what you will have seen and will see of me, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. So Paul is just responding. This is what Jesus said to me. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. In other words, Jesus is different in that he is the first to rise from the dead. Now, that is, uh, we'll talk about what that means here in just a minute, but that is different than the resurrection of Lazarus or many other people you see in Scripture because they died and died again. They died, were raised, and then died again. But Jesus' resurrection is different, and I'll share why here in a bit. 
If we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what um, we see here in this chapter is that the Christians in Corinth were wrestling with what is this resurrection thing about. Now, if we're honest, um, I would let's just ask, how many of you have wondered sometimes, maybe laying in bed at night or when you're on a walk and your mind is just is just flowing and you think, I wonder what that resurrection will look like. How many of you have thought about that, considered that? Okay. Something I've, I, years ago I preached on 1 Corinthians 15 when I was in Great Falls, and I started off by saying something like this. Now, a lot of people in our Christian world will understand that when we die, um, we, our, our souls uh, go to heaven and we spend um, eternity with God there. And the only problem with that is that's not what Scripture talks about. And I had a couple of ladies approach me afterwards and say, okay, I have been taught totally wrong on this, what this resurrection is all about, and so thank you, because that's exactly what I thought before I spent some time in 1 Corinthians 15. I didn't had no idea that there was so much more to it. And Paul is not going to answer all the questions, but he's going to answer some. And in 1 Corinthians 15, what you have is people that are wrestling with, wait a minute here, this resurrection, does this really happen? I'm not sure that it really happens, because how is it possible for someone to come back from the dead? It just doesn't seem like that's likely. I've never seen anything like that. My experience says that that's impossible. Therefore, I really question whether that's really going to happen or not. So let's start in verse 1. And Paul starts by talking about... uh, Hey, wait a minute, this didn't happen in in closed doors. This was evident, and there's witnesses. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. In those next verses, we spent some time on this here a few weeks ago, talking about all these different witnesses that saw Jesus alive. Skip down to verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you have believed. In other words, Paul is saying, boy, I feel like I'm the last one that should be here in front of you. Because I was so convinced that this resurrection wasn't happening, that these people that were following Jesus were absolutely crazy, that I persecuted them. I chased them all over the place trying to get them to renounce Jesus. I was the problem. I was exactly what Jesus came to die for. But because of the great grace of God, my heart was changed and my heart was turned. And what I learned and what I've experienced is something great and something amazing. And I want to tell you about this. In the next section of Scripture, what he does is he talks about, because the question comes up, wait a minute, some of you apparently believe that there is no resurrection of the dead. Okay, so that would have been common. Uh, If a person was influenced by any type of Greek philosophy or Roman philosophers, they would have believed that when you die, the lights go out, that's it, and there's nothing left. That's common in our world. Uh, We don't have to go too far around our neighborhoods for people to tell us if we have these spiritual conversations that when you die, the lights go out, that's what happens. Or or have some kind of vague perspective that when someone dies, they go to a better place, whatever that means. 
Well, what Paul talks about in here, he says, wait a minute here, something we need to nail straight down and make this, uh, make this very clear is that the resurrection is absolutely, completely, and totally real. It is just as real as anything else in history. It is just as real as this thing right here. It is just as real as your skin and your own flesh. It is just as real as the Bridger Mountains out there. This resurrection is absolutely, completely, and totally real, and it's going to happen. And understand that if you don't believe that, I've got a question for you. Why on earth have I been going around teaching about Jesus and I get all this grief from people around me. I get all this persecution. He says, I fought wild beasts in Ephesus. All this terrible stuff happens if I don't believe that there's something better to come. Because if we believe there's no resurrection, he says, then we are to be pitied more than all, everybody else. And further on, the next section, he says, if there's no resurrection, then let's eat, drink, and be merry. We because tomorrow we die. In other words, you might as well go out and party it up and do whatever feels good at this moment in time because it's not going to matter tomorrow anyway because we're just going to disappear. But Paul uses an analogy here and he says, this is what the resurrection of Jesus is, is that it is the first fruits. Now the first fruits is a concept that is, uh, it's a little harder for us in our climate to understand. Now, if we're living in a place like the Mediterranean where Jesus would have lived or Paul spent his time, or Rome, Italy, for example, where I've spent a lot of time, there is, uh, when you see these trees, like when the figs produce or, or apples or oranges, it's not just a very, very narrow window for that production to be able to happen. Here, uh, how many times have you had apples, apple trees, or something like that, pears, plums in your yard that didn't produce anything? That happens quite a bit, doesn't it? Because the spring comes, warms up, all that sap starts flowing, the blossoms come out, and then bam! Nature at this northern climate just laughs and says, ha, you think you're going to produce fruit. Just as, as a side note, I noticed that my apple trees are not being fooled by this spring whatsoever up to this point in time. They're like, no way, nuh-uh, I'm not about to put those blossoms out there. I know what you're going to do. I know what's coming. And so for us, we typically have fruit or we don't. That's the way it works. But you get into these warmer climates, there's an apple that may come and be, uh, come, become ripe, and then there's several more later, and then there's more, and then there's more, and then there's more, and then there's more. But the first fruits are those first fruits that are taken off the tree. That is the first sign that, hey, look at all the rest of the fruit that is going to be coming. Look at this. Look at this good stuff. You can look around the tree and you can see the other ones that aren't ripe yet. But there's this beautiful one right here. This is what everything else is going to look like. And Paul tells us that Jesus' resurrection from the dead is a first fruit. It is that first fruit that comes out on that tree that we can look at and say, okay, wait a minute, all the rest of this is going to look like this right here. That's going to be beautiful. That's going to be amazing. I can't wait for what we get to see. Because when Jesus died, was in that tomb for several days, came out, he was different. And that resurrection body that he has is something like what we're going to have. And that's what I understand. It's not just a puff of a spirit there. We don't turn into a ghost. But there is a bodily, physical resurrection of some sort. And Paul talks a little bit more about what that is. Now, he's not going to give us all the answers that we may love and all the answers we may desire. He's not going to tell us everything. He doesn't know everything. God does. But he tells us enough to really change our lives. 
Let's look at the next verses here, um, verses 35 through um, verses 57. I'll just read a few passages here in this, uh, in this section. Basically, what someone asks, which uh, those of us who are, are question askers that, that tend to, uh, to not accept the easy answers, in verse 35 he says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? That's kind of the, that Trump question, you know. Okay, well, if there's a resurrection, well, then answer me this. What's that body going to look like? Hmm? You tell me. Hmm? You can't answer that question? Well, okay, well, maybe this isn't real, or maybe this isn't really going to happen. And Paul says, how foolish. Okay, something you need to understand. And he gives an analogy of a seed. Now, I've uh, lived next to wheat fields at times, and it's amazing to go out and you take that wheat and you look at it, and you, you rub all the, the, the head and all the chaff comes off and you got those grains of wheat that are there. And they're tiny. They're not very big at all. But if you take one of those and you plant that, or you plant apple seeds, we may be more familiar with apple seeds, and you plant that, what happens, and here's a diagram up here, is that seed gets in the soil. And somehow, in the way that God has created that seed... It changes once it gets in the soil. And it breaks open. And all of a sudden, there's some little roots that grow down. There's a stalk that grows up. Isn't it, isn't it amazing how something like an apple seed, just picture an apple seed, something that's it's hard, it's got that hard shell on it. I mean, pumpkin seeds, you can roast them and eat them, and you think. But something happens when you put that seed in the ground. All of a sudden, it comes to life. And it turns into something beautiful and amazing and different. And so Paul uses this analogy to say, okay, we understand how grain works. We understand how seeds work. So just think about this. What happens when you put one of those in the ground? They become something beautiful. And the same thing happens to you. Because when you pass away within the kingdom of God, you go into the ground and that's where you come alive. And things change. Now, we don't usually think about death in those terms, but look at verse 42, 1 Corinthians 15, 42. It says, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And so in all that, he's saying, look at how beautiful this. Just imagine it. Just try to put your head through this. Is when you and I pass away someday... Or you think about somebody that is a loved one, that is a follower of God that's passed away. Now their body goes into the earth or is cremated or um, as the Navy does, they're buried at sea. And that body decomposes. And that's usually where our thought process as humans stops. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and that's where it goes. But God is saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> Something more beautiful is coming. And just as a seed changes, so you will too. And you're going to sprout into something that is amazing. This body that you have here, this body that is, is full of imperfections, that is full of hurt and pain and, and dysfunctions and all that sort of thing, it's going to be changed, it's going to be transferred, it's going to be something different. How many of you have some sort of health issue that you can point to and think, I wish this was different somehow? Yeah, all of us do. If you don't, just wait. It's coming. Great news, right? 
That's just life. That's what happens. And as we get older, our physical bodies in this world just wear out and they start to hurt more, they start to ache more, start to be different. And Paul is saying, all that stuff is going to change. All of it is going to be renewed, just like a seed going to the ground. It'll be totally different. Look down a few verses, down to uh, verse, uh, verse 51. I'll, I'll, I'll start in verse 50. It says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So think about this. What Paul is sharing here is that there's going to be big changes when when Christ returns. So think about the body that Jesus had. Um, what we know about it is that it could be touched, but that Jesus would appear in one place, then he would be gone, and that people that knew him could walk side by side with him but weren't sure that they recognized him. So think about that. There's something different about this resurrection body that Jesus showed as a first fruit that is something that we will inherit. And just imagine if we're around, alive, or we're around after already passed away. In fact, First Thessalonians talks about, as the question came up among those, what happens if we die? If we're not alive when Jesus returns, do we miss out on all this? Paul says, no, 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 don't worry about that. That's okay. It's all right. But can you just imagine, it's something we understand from Scripture as Christians, that Jesus is going to return someday. And it says, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those of us who are still alive at that point in time will be taken up and will be transformed at that point. Just imagine what that is going to look like someday. And Jesus is saying, this is more real than anything. Just imagine if we're walking along or we're going to school or we're at work or or we're sleeping, something like that. And don't try to predict it, okay? That's that's something that mankind has done since Jesus came. Try to predict when Jesus came back. And I'll, I'll give you some cliff notes to that. It says that we don't know. And we're not going to know. So don't even try to predict that when it's going to come. We don't know that. But just imagine what happens is all of a sudden it says this loud trumpet blares and all of a sudden all of us, the, what we see here and what is physical just falls away from us. And the reality that we've always tried to see and always tried to understand becomes more real than anything we've ever seen before. And everything that we've experienced up to this point in time seems like a dream. And all of a sudden we're face to face with the with the God who created us and we're changed and we're transformed. Boy, I am so looking forward to seeing something like that. I just, I have trouble getting my mind to wrap around it. I have trouble getting my heart to wrap around it as well. I just think, boy, what an amazing, what's something, that's something amazing, isn't it? I mean, does that not stir your heart to consider that and to think about that? Something as beautiful as that, and all these things that we, misunderstandings we had in this life, and the things that we tried to wrestle through, and that sinful nature that we couldn't seem to get rid of, just, it's gone. And here we are, in the presence of God, 
who created us, surrounded by all of these other people that have walked side by side with us during this life and people that have come before us and maybe those that have come after us. Beautiful and amazing. And Paul shares here that the only thing that is done away with at this point in time is death. I remember, um, I'm going to try to read this. I don't, I'm not, I don't say try because it's, I have an emotional attachment to it, which I do sometimes. I feel something, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to read through this. I'm not sure I'm going to pull this off. And that's not what this is about. But I remember how this concept became so real to me. And it was not in a Bible class. It was not, in fact, it was at my senior year at Libby High School. I had a teacher named Ms. Kimberlin. You know, amazing lady. I learned a ton. Uh, she said, some of you guys have been slacking the last years, and you're about to go to college, and tell you what, by the time you get out of my class, you will know a lot of things you don't know now, and here it comes. You know, and there's those of us in the class are like, oh man, here we go. We gotta, it's game time. Phenomenal teacher. And we were going through uh, British writers, and I remember in this, that this particular sonnet, so 14 lines, by John Donne, written 400 years ago, right around 1600, right in that time period, maybe a little after 1600. And this is one of what later became known as his holy sonnets. And he writes this, and it's hard to read because it was written 400 years ago and language has changed. But I remember at this moment, something became more clear to me that I didn't understand or I understood here, but I didn't understand in my heart. And there I am in senior, senior English class at Libby High School, and bam, somehow this hits me. It's called Death, Do Not Be, be Not Proud by John Donne. It says, Death, be not proud, though some have called thee, mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. From rest and sleep, which but thy pictures be, much pleasure, then from thee much more must flow. And soonest our best men with thee do go, rest of their bones and souls delivery. Thou art slave to fate, chance, kings, and desperate men, and thou dost with poison, war, and sickness dwell, and poppy or charms can make us sleep as well, and better than thy stroke why swellest thou then? One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. So what John Donne does is he reminds people, he says, there's all these things, and he's speaking to death. There's all these things that you have power over. There's desperate people, and kings use you to wield out punishment to other people. And there's all sorts of different ways that we can die. And he goes through a list of all that, but you know what? We don't have to be afraid because ultimately, you, death, are the only one that's going to die. And I remember sitting there in English class my senior year thinking, huh, that's it. I've heard that all my life. I've heard that's the case. But somehow, some way, as Mrs. Kimberlin shared that, that day as we were reading this poem, she said, you guys know what this means? You guys know what this, this is for people who say that they're Christians, believe that death is the thing that's going to die, so you don't have anything to worry worried about when you die. And I remember thinking, man, if the gospel is not being preached in Libby High School public senior class, then I don't know what is. That's beautiful, and it's amazing, and boom, there it was, right there. 
And that has been one of those times where I can think back in my life and think, boy, it has changed. Life has changed. Now, Paul being Paul, he never leaves us with just here is an intellectual concept that you need to consider. Resurrection is real. There it is. Boom. Not debatable. But he always finishes somewhere practical, and he does so for us here, did for the Corinthians. And this is the last verse in chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, stand fast, be courageous, and be strong, and give yourselves fully to working for God. Think about that. Dedicate yourselves to that because you know that whatever you do for God is, never, is not in vain. God's working to do good stuff with whatever those efforts may be. Now, I'm going to share a couple of pictures here. This is from yesterday. I pulled this off our, our church Facebook page. Because there was uh, Gary, our fearless leader, organized a cleanup day yesterday morning. And so anybody who would like to was, was showed up. We had a great crew showed up. And what was really exciting about it is there were a whole bunch of little kids that were there, little kids, big kids, that showed up, and they um, helped a lot. And I'll show a picture of that here in just a minute. There's a, This picture here, uh, is, I, I chose this picture because there were more people in it than any other picture that was posted on our Facebook page. Now, if you notice, there's, you know, Fred is there in the foreground. He's working with the edge trimmer, um, just cleaning some things up. And there's two people that are standing there in the background. Okay, that's Phil Young and myself. In this picture, we're not doing anything, but we did do things, okay? Just for the record, so in case you see that and you look at it and you think, all right, there's Phil and Chris standing there doing nothing, right? We did things, and we were, we were active and helping out as well. But what was beautiful about this is I didn't know this picture was being taken, you see on the far right there, there's Josh Eater. On the left, there's Carly. And both of them have clippers, and they're clipping that hedgerow over there. And um, I told them that when we got done with it, we are going to make it all look like an elephant. You know how you get those, those artistic works and all that kind of thing. And so they couldn't see it. You know, I don't know. Yeah, but anyway, we got over there and we worked on that. And something I was thinking, and I, I got distracted during lunch, but I was going to do this. I was going to ask them. I didn't do it. I forgot. But kids, how many of you, when you woke up this morning, and your parents said, hey, let's go to the church building. We can help clean up and make things look nice. The people that come and visit, people that come and participate in worship here, people that can see something beautiful, see something clean. How many of us as adults or kids would have said, I'm staying in bed, I'm not doing this, you know, that kind of thing. And the reality is, is we have those type of tendencies a lot. And we can't do everything. We had a good crew, we had a sufficient crew that was here yesterday. What this is not about is saying, if you weren't there, you missed out. Okay, what I'm saying is, there's lots of things that we, we look around and say, boy, this is something that I can do for God. It seems like it is, it's so Pointless, it may seem trivial, but Paul tells us, he reminds us, your work for the Lord is never in vain. Just don't stand still, just keep doing it. Just keep doing it because something really, really good is going to come out of it. And it was really great for me to be able to work with these couple of kids yesterday as we're, we're trimming that tree or that, that hedgerow down. And 
just seeing how God's working with these little ones to grow up to say, hey, even the most trivial things like cleaning the parking lot of the church building or, or trimming the hedges, this is work for the Lord that we can do that there's really good stuff comes out of it. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to read one more scripture before we finish up here. Hebrews 11. This is... Uh, Hebrews 11 is called... Does anybody know what happens in Hebrews 11? The faith chapter, Hall of Faith. And what the Hebrew writer does is says, here's all of these people that lived by faith. Here's their examples. Look at how amazing things that God accomplished through them because they lived by faith. And look in, uh, we'll read in chapter 11, I'll start reading verse 13, and there's a summary statement that's given here. He says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And so everybody he talks about, every example he gives, these are people that have not received the good stuff yet. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And when we think about that, all of these people that we have before us that have sacrificed greatly in order to follow God, have given up sometimes livelihoods, sometimes their lives in order to follow God and be faithful to him, we have to remember they did so because they're looking forward to something much greater. This resurrection where our body changes and we come out of that grave and we become something totally different. Where everything is as it should be. Everything is perfect and wonderful. I think about, Paul shared that here just a minute ago. We read, he said, I experienced the, 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 the brightness of God and it changed me. And I left that sinful nature, that that legalistic righteousness behind and became something different. And I'm leaving that behind because I know that someday I'm going to achieve a resurrection that is more beautiful than anything I've ever seen. We see uh, examples in Scripture, and this isn't in the context of the resurrection, but the Samaritan woman, even before we get to the resurrection, this Samaritan woman, Jesus says, yeah, you've had all these husbands, and the person you're not living with isn't your husband. lady that, that has made some poor choices in life sin-wise there. And Jesus says, I'm the one you're waiting for. And she goes back and she gathers up her friends and her family in that town and says, come and listen to this person who told me everything I ever did. This is amazing. This has changed. You look at Peter, who had the choice at that one point in time after he had been around Jesus for a while, and Jesus says, Peter, come and follow me. You've been fishing for fish. I'm going to teach you how to fish for the souls of people. And Peter walked away from his livelihood, walked away from his family to say, whatever you have is so much better than what I would have by just hanging on to my own things. Or you get Stephen in the book of Acts where he is placed in front of a bunch of angry people that say, why are you teaching about this Jesus guy? And his response is, look through history, God's continued to work and has brought Jesus here, and I am so excited to be able to follow him because Jesus, or excuse me, Stephen knew that there was going to be this wonderful resurrection no matter what happened. And when he gets to the very last moments of his life there, these religious leaders are around, they're gnashing their teeth, they're mad, they're screaming, they're full of hatred. 
And he's able to look up in the sky and he says, oh, wow, there's the son of man. There's God, the son of man sitting right next to him. And they execute him right there. Stephen got a glimpse right into the throne room of heaven in that resurrection. He knew that it was real and it was happening. Jesus' brothers, James and Jude, who become leaders in the early church, you see them in Scripture where Jesus, whatever Jesus is doing, they always have something, the very little we see about him, have something to tease him about. Oh, if you want to be a big shot, Jesus, why don't you go to Jerusalem? You know, what, what are you doing out here? But something happened when Jesus raised from the dead. They understood that that changes everything for me, too. Because just as Jesus is the first fruit to come off that tree to raise from the dead, I can have that as well. And there's story after story after story that we can talk about of missionaries that have given up their lives, have given up their livelihood, have given up all sorts of things in order to follow God in all corners of the world. You notice something that's interesting to me that I think that's beautiful? There is uh, Universities have these massive... Uh, anthropology departments to preserve cultures and to preserve languages and all that because there's a lot of these languages out there these tribal languages that are dying they're almost gone many of them and you know how almost every one of those languages has been preserved it's not been by big anthropologists going to these places and and writing those down almost every one of them has been preserved by missionaries that have uprooted have gone someplace and said These people need to hear the message of God, and there is no one outside of their little villages that speaks this language. And so I'm going to go there, I'm going to listen, I'm going to sit on the dirt with them until I can speak their language enough to share the message of Jesus with them. And by doing so, they write down and preserve the languages of these people from all over the world. Because people that make these decisions to do stuff like that have said, The resurrection is real, and whatever I have to give up, and whatever I have to do, and whatever I have to be different in this life is worth every bit of it because it's real. And so the question for us is, and many of us, most of us, are not going to drop everything we have right now, move to some foreign country, and and share the message of God. Now, God doesn't expect that of most of us. Believe me, if the call is there, you'll know it. Believe me, okay? You don't have to wonder about that. It'll come. But the question for all of us is, do you believe that that resurrection into the next life is real from all the evidence that you've seen through history and Jesus and the lives of people around you and from Scripture? And if you do, then have you allowed the message of that resurrection to truly, deeply, honestly change your life day in, day out? Because if we do... If we do allow it to change us, then it, share, it changes everything for us. And we get to live out the abundant life of Jesus. And we've got a message to tell everybody around us. Let's not get distracted by all the details of this life and all that stuff. Because we've got neighbors that don't know the message of God. And what it boils down to is we want other people to understand that repentance and resurrection are there for the taking for everybody. And let's make sure that we don't forget that and make sure that we live that out day in, day out. If you'd like to have prayers to the church, the elders and their wives will wait for you in the back. They're glad to pray with you. You're welcome to become a Christian today if you'd like that as well. Let's stand and sing together.
me, O my Savior, hide me in thy holy place, resting there beneath thy glory.